Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. We are following two major stories tonight on the right's minority rule attack on democracy. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Readout. Right now, Vice President Kamala Harris is speaking in Tennessee after meeting this afternoon with the Tennessee Three. And we are going to get to that in a moment. But first, in just the last hour, we got breaking news out of Texas and a major ruling that we have been waiting for. Federal Judge Matthew Kesmark has officially put the FDA's approval of Mifepristone, the abortion pill, on hold. He's given the federal government seven days to seek emergency relief. This is the biggest blow to abortion access since the reversal of Roe. The case affects access to the drug, not just in Texas, but in every state in the United States, all across the country. Joining me now is MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin, along with Minnie Tamaraju, president of NARAL Pro-Choice America. We actually might be waiting for them. We were waiting for them right now, but I want to just let you all know that we are following both of these two stories. So we will have the speech that we know that Vice President Kamala Harris gave at Fisk University in Tennessee. That was happening while we were waiting to come on the air. And then this ruling came down just a moment ago. Let me tell you a little bit about this judge while we are waiting for our guest to get online. Uh, in his writings, Matthew Kesmarek out of Texas, has described being transgender as a mental disorder. He's called homosexuality disordered. He has said that sexual revolutionaries had made the unborn child and marriage secondary to erotic desires of liberated adults. In December, he sided with a Christian father ruling that anyone under the age of 18 in the state of Texas needs approval from their parent before getting birth control from federally funded clinics. Uh, he is a University of Texas Law School graduate who has focused his attention on the legal foundations for abortion rights. He attended a Federalist Society, attend, he attended Federalist Society meetings along with Representative Chip Roy of Texas, who said that the two would regularly talk about Roe v. Wade and what they viewed as Supreme Court overreach on abortion. He has a long history as a volunteer um, for Republican campaigns, including those of Ted Cruz, John Cornyn, and Governor Greg Abbott. And lastly, he is presiding over a lawsuit that has been that was filed by anti-vax activists, anti-vaxxers, led by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who Steve Bannon is looking to run for president in 2024 accusing several media outlets of colluding to censor their views on the COVID vaccine. So this is this this guy is uh, he is a right winger in every sense of the word. And he has now stayed the approval that dates back to 1988 of the abortion pill. Uh, joining me now is MSNBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin. Um, Lisa, and I should say, I'm sorry, the approval dates back to 2000. Mifepristone has been FDA approved since the year 2000 for use as part of a two drug and two step process. Um to uh, to to it for abortions. So, uh, Lisa, tell us what this ruling means. I know it just happened. You just now had a chance to read it. Lay it out for us. What does this ruling mean? 
you're being generous by saying that I've had a chance to read it. I've had a chance to skim it. But what this ruling means is no less than a total disaster for America's women and girls. And here's why, Joy. The plaintiffs in this case, they asked for an order that would require the FDA to withdraw or suspend its approval of Mifepristone. And according to people who are expert in FDA law, that's a process that likely would have taken several months, just given the way that the regulatory framework for the FDA works. Instead, what Just Kazmarek did here was stay the FDA's approval of Mifepristone in 2000. And if you're asking yourself, what does that mean? It means it essentially freezes the world for the FDA before that September 2000 approval. It's as if they never approved Mifepristone in the first place. Now, he's put a pause on his order for seven days to give the FDA, represented by the Department of Justice, a chance to appeal it. But if this ruling sticks, this means a world in which mifepristone is likely not available throughout the United States, in which medication abortion is available only through misoprostol. That's the other of the two drugs in the regimen. That's a much more painful process. It's also laden with more risks than both drugs combined. And we're going to live in a world that is increasingly coming closer and closer to the one that Margaret Atwood imagined in The Handmaid's Tale. I never thought that I would see today happen, much less last June happen. And the thing that, you know, makes this so outrageous is that Republicans have long made the argument that their problem with Roe v. Wade is that it nationalized an issue that they felt belonged in the states, that they thought each little laboratory of democracy ought to be able to make its own rules for abortion, states' rights. But what this judge has done is to say no. California can't make its own decisions. This drug is illegal in California. It's illegal in New York. It's illegal in Michigan that just won back the right for women to have control over their own bodies. Illegal in Kansas, that where there was a referendum in which people were asked, do you want to codify abortion rights? They said overwhelmingly, yes, we do. This judge has now overruled it. Um, it, This, just from a federalism standpoint, is it really puts the lie, doesn't it, to what the right has always said they wanted. What they want is a national ban on abortion. This is a step toward that. That's exactly right. And they won't stop until they get to fetal personhood. I'm really convinced of that. Joy, this is anti-federalist in two ways. It's anti-federalist because the Dobbs decision, as you recognize, said it was time to take the issue of abortion out of the courts and return it to the people's elected representatives. And clearly, the decision that Judge Kaczmarek has made today makes that impossible for people who live in staunchly pro-choice states like California and Vermont, but also in places like Kansas and Michigan and Kentucky. That's one way in which it's anti-federalist. The other way in which it's anti-federalist is, of course, with respect to the regulation of drugs, which is something that's always been left to Congress to decide and to the FDA. There was an argument that could have been made here that FDA regulations preempt state law where it comes to the regulation of medications, whether it's for abortion or for chemotherapy, that the FDA reigns supreme. That's an argument that affirmatively could have been made by the Department of Justice and wasn't, and is partially why we find ourselves here and why I am so frustrated and impassioned right now in talking about this ruling. Uh, Let's talk about the pragmatic uh, impact of this. If the FDA's approval is stayed, does that make it illegal to possess or sell or purchase mifepristone? No, but, and here's what I'll say, the Comstock Act, which is a federal statute that's on the books, makes it illegal to to basically send abortifacients or drugs that cause abortion through the mail. 
The Biden administration has a policy issued by the Department of Justice that says, essentially, we don't intend to enforce the Comstock Act. But that law is still on the books. It was one of the bases, for example, through which more than 20 state attorneys general threatened Walgreens when they announced that they were going to participate with the FDA and making medication abortion available through retail pharmacies. So there is a law on the book that makes it unlawful to send mifepristone, misoprostol through the mail. That the Biden administration isn't going to enforce it doesn't mean that it won't be enforced by a future president if it's not taken off the books by Congress. One more question, and I'm going to bring in Alexis Mika Johnson in a minute, but I do want to ask you one more question. Um, we know that the Supreme Court six, the six uh, right wing, uh, the right wingers in the majority on the Supreme Court, one of them, Clarence Thomas, with all his other ethical problems, has presaged that he would like to get a case that would also make um they would also make uh, birth control illegal. And we know that that was uh, another Supreme Court ruling that he would like to get back, um, along with uh, rulings on uh, the rights of gay Americans um, to live their lives as well. Could the same kind of construct that we just saw here, a lawsuit that goes to a far right wing judge, end up making birth control illegal? Could they use the same tactic? Uh, I could see that happening here. And one of the things that they're going to do is try to pit two constitutional rights against one another. So, for example, while the right to contraception is rooted in the right to privacy, that's a longstanding Supreme Court precedent, have that bump up against, for example, religious freedom, which is what they've used in a number of these cases where they're trying to erode LGBTQ rights. The other way, Joy, that I think that they could effectuate that is by claiming the mantle of parental rights. There is a long line of Supreme Court cases that say parents have the right to raise their children in the way that they see fit. You see that parental rights framing undergirding a number of really pernicious statutes around the around the country, everything from CRT to gender affirming health care to now abortion too. Judge Kaczmarek has issued one of those rulings saying that Texas parents have a right to prevent their kids without consent from accessing oral contraceptives, for example, through the federally funded um, family planning grant program. So I can see a situation where through parental rights or through religious freedom, they're going to attack birth control next. And I think it's coming. You're right. Yeah. And well, parental rights, except if you want your children to learn African-American history or read books Correct. by black people or gay people or Jewish people, then you don't have any rights. It's a weird way that the parental rights only work for right wing Christians. Um, right. Hopefully it's you can like stay with right. me just for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I hang, I, hopefully I can keep you around for just a little bit. But I do want to bring in Alexis McGill Johnson, who's the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood. I want to go ahead and get your initial reaction to this ruling by a Texas right wing judge uh, to stay the approval, the FDA approval of Mifepristone. Uh, thank you, Joy. Uh, look, this is a reckless decision. This is a decision that is based on junk science. It is going to have devastating consequences for patients. The thing I want to most be clear about right now is that for at least the next seven days, access is still available for patients. And it's important to say that because we know that all of these rulings, all of these bills that have been introduced over the last uh, however long have meant that People are sowing chaos and confusion for people. And for right now, for the people who are making decisions about what they are they need to do in this moment, they are still able to get access to care. But for this to happen in this week, the same week when voters went to the ballot in Wisconsin and demonstrated how 
much they cared about making these own decisions for themselves, for this judge to come down and make it clear that it's no respect for our ability to make decisions about our own bodies is incredibly telling. This is a clear crisis, not only for democracy, but for freedom. Well, I mean, I think if those who have read The Handmaid's Tale or watched the series understand that it was a right-wing Christian religious cult, essentially, that took over the United States and stripped women of all of their rights, leaving them the only choices uh, to be a handmaid, essentially forced birth incubator, uh, or be a prostitute or a maid, um, which it sounds pretty spot on with what a lot of folks in this country seem to think are the only purposes that women have in the world. Um, I want to bring in Minnie Tamaraju to add Minnie Tamaraju to this conversation. She's the president of NARAL Pro-Choice, Pro-Choice America. Um, Minnie, your, your uh, initial reaction. Look, this decision tells us we were spot on about who Matthew Kaczmarek is. You know, um, we read through the opinion. My team is still reading through it and doing the analysis. But our understanding is he evokes all of the most horrific, extreme arguments against medication abortion in this case. And he makes it clear that is the direction he is willing to head short of a Fifth Circuit action. So um, it is not a surprise. It is that does not make it any less distressing. And in light of what has happened this week in places like Idaho, and to Alexis's point, the strength of the community in Wisconsin, it's really, really discouraging that this judge went ahead with this most extremist route. And we're just hoping uh, the DOJ and the Fifth Circuit will take quick action. And Alexis, if you could just sort of give us sort of the the, the state of play here. I mean, uh, medication abortion, that's about half or a little more than half of the ways in which women obtain this this healthcare, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, consistently so. And I think even increasingly more important, given the fact that we are now nine months post the Dobbs decision, we have seen over 300 restrictions introduced in 46 states. And states have no access to abortion or very limited access. And medication abortion is one of those ways in which people are able to make decisions uh, in, in, in time to not have to travel in ways that uh, will deny them access. So this is not just about what's happening in Texas. The fact that this case against the FDA approval means that it's going to impact New York and California and Illinois and Vermont and all of the places where people are now traveling way out of the South in order to get access to care. Um, and so this is the entire country. The entire nation needs to be on watch now that our literally our, our ability to, to have equal control over our own bodies is under attack. And many, we've already seen in the state of Idaho um, a bill to make it illegal to travel. So they're already starting to, to lock women in and say, you can't move, you can't travel. And in this case, they're talking about anyone under 18, but that means an aunt, you know, a, an older sister, a doctor. They're trying to frighten people into even helping women. We've seen that in Texas with this bounty law. So what you're seeing is the right to abortion being squeezed by making doctors afraid to treat you, by making your family members afraid to help you, by making an Uber driver afraid to drive you, by saying that if you travel across state lines or get close to the border in the state of Idaho and you might have, you know, Mifepristone with you, 
that's a crime. And making, you know, in the state of South Carolina, they're proposing potentially adding the death penalty. This is this is the handmaid's tale, as Lisa said. Women in this country are essentially being told you are an incubator. The state owns your body the minute that you are pregnant and there's nothing you can do and no one you can turn to. I I can't imagine anything closer to slavery than that. This is all by design. I mean, look, the way that patients have been getting served post-Dobbs, particularly in Texas, where I actually am right now um, with my family because I'm from Texas, it has been by folks leaving their state, right? Going across borders, going to uh, clinics like Planned Parenthoods, right there at the border of some of these states, getting access to Mifepristone, which is incredibly safe, as we've said many times, safer than Tylenol, uh, has been approved for over 23 years, and getting access to that care through telemedicine in some cases. So these laws that you just outlined are designed to close the last available possibility for the most desperate Americans who need this care. And it is wild, completely dystopian, as you said, uh, completely evil and designed to intimidate and create a perfect storm of confusion for patients. And it's so important to call out the opposition here. You know, groups like Susan B. Anthony List have been who've been blaming providers for being unclear to their patients. And it is truly beyond the pale that they are still making those arguments when they have designed these laws in a way to create mass confusion and maximum harm to American women. And knowing that rich women will just get on a plane and fly to Europe and still get abortions anyway, it's poor women, it's women of color, they're going to suffer. I want to give the last word to you, Lisa, because what is the root for this? So the Fifth Circuit gets it. What happens? Because my fear is it winds up right back at the Supreme Court and Samuel Alito in his smugness and reverence for the 19th century simply says, too bad, so sad, you are incubators, get over it. It's my fear, too. I mean, the one thing I can say is that on one hand, the Supreme Court might be better or slightly better than the Fifth Circuit. It is the most ideological of our federal circuit courts of appeals right now. I don't have any confidence that the Fifth Circuit will either stand up for women or even stand up for the right of the FDA to decide which drugs are safe and effective. I mean, this decision doesn't just undermine women and their right to abortion, it undermines the entire regulatory state, which is a larger project of the larger conservative movement. They don't want federal agencies to have power to make decisions because they don't like what happens in things that they care about, like oil and gas and the environmental movement. They want agencies to have less power. With respect to the Supreme Court, Joy, I think the one thing that we can say is that Judge Kaczmarek has so squarely across the board decided for the plaintiffs on everything from whether they had standing to bring this suit to whether they exhausted their administrative remedies at the FDA. I'm hoping that the Supreme Court can poke holes in one of the things that allowed the plaintiffs to even bring this case in the first place, because it it has legal experts like me scratching their heads about whether you can, 23 years after the fact, challenge a decision by the FDA. This is minority rule, everyone. This is why you vote, except that when you vote, they just expel the people that you voted for. This is minority rule. This is a seizure of democracy. A The minority in this country, let's just be clear, they have a minority view. They are 30-70 on all of these issues, and they are seizing control of you. Um, we need to pay attention to this. Lisa Rubin, Alexis McGill-Johnson, Minnie Timaraju, thank you very much. Up next on The Readout, the other major story tonight, the fallout from the expulsion of two young Black legislators. 
legislators from the Tennessee House of Representatives. Again, anti-democracy, the war on democracy. We are in it. We are in it. Just because you don't want to be at war does not mean that they're not at war with you. Vice President Kamala Harris was there today to show her support. More on that when the readout continues. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. While what we saw yesterday in Tennessee may have been shocking, it was by no means surprising, especially for a state that has a history of power grabs, particularly in the city of Nashville. It all started in February of last year when the Republican-led General Assembly gerrymandered Davidson County, containing Nashville, slicing the most populous and liberal area of the state into three safely Republican districts. Then in August, when Tennessee Republicans wanted to bring the 2024 Republican National Convention to Nashville, the Democratic-led city council shot it down, which in turn led Republicans to attempt to cut the 40-member council in half, passing legislation that caps all municipal governing bodies to no more than 20 members, something that only applies to Nashville and ultimately diminishes black representation on the city council. Those Republicans then took it even further by pushing through legislation that essentially defunds Nashville's convention center and gives the state control over the city's airport, as well as concert and sports venues. There's also a history between this Republican legislature and the two now expelled representatives, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. In 2019, Jones attended a protest to remove a statue of Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, one of the founders of the Ku Klux Klan that was displayed in the state's capital. Lawmakers actually tried to get Jones banned from the Capitol building and claimed he was a danger to public safety for allegedly throwing a liquid at a Republican member during that protest. A judge shot that down. And this February, when Pearson was sworn in, he faced the outrage of his Republican colleagues for wearing a dashiki, a traditional West African garment on the House floor. He said it was his way of paying homage to the ancestors who made that opportunity possible. But Republicans went after him for defying the House's non-existent dress code and tweeted that he should explore a different career opportunity. So what happened this past week in Tennessee did not come out of the blue. It appears to be the culmination of personal vendettas against two young black members of the legislative body, as well as political retaliation from a Republican-led state legislature. 
Joining me now is Michael Eric Dyson, professor of African-American studies at Vanderbilt University. And uh, MED, this is it's like everything everywhere all at once and history repeating itself, because I think about the war to end reconstruction by the Klan that was founded by Nathan Bedford Forrest. Their purpose was to undo multiracial democracy and break it apart and to seize all the economic resources, make sure that black people couldn't share in it. Voila, they're doing it again in Tennessee. No doubt. This is, if we're living through what Peniel Joseph calls the third reconstruction, this is the backlash to that reconstruction. After every moment of reconstruction in this country, where the attempt to right democracy uh, for African-American people, there has been a strong white backlash, a predictable denial of opportunity, a curving, if you will, a curbing of the access to democracy by black people. So if they're voting too much, stop them from voting. If you can't stop them from voting, make it real difficult for them to vote. Let's gerrymander the districts. Let's draw strange geography to make a district run from one end of the state to the other with thin slices to prove that they are in control. And then to come up with the most ludicrous and ridiculous forms and rules to negate and nullify what the democratically elected officials are capable of doing. The people call them into existence, put them in office, and now they're trying to use rules to block them. And Joy, here's the most fascinating thing about the Republicans. They never seem to learn. If you give black folk the stuff they ask for in the first place, The changes won't be as radical as if you resist them and then force the hands, not only of African-American people, but their allies to show just how ridiculous it is for you to stonewall and blockade against democracy. For instance, in the boycott uh, in 1955 and 56 in Birmingham, uh, in uh, uh, Montgomery, all they wanted was, hey, when the white folk are not there, let's take their seats and let's be able to sit down. Nope, we don't want anything. You pushed it so far that they changed the entire law and it allowed the Supreme Court ruled that segregation on transportation was wrong. Again, they've overplayed their hand. These young men yesterday before uh, their uh, episode in the state house there were relatively unknown except to their constituencies. Now they're globally recognized avatars of a fight against anti-democracy. They are anti-racist, multiracial democracies that they are called calling into existence, and they're speaking for predominantly white kids who were murdered at the hands of a a person who wielded uh, automatic weapons. Even when their own children are at stake, if a black voice, a black tongue, a black consciousness is shaping the interpretation of the law that will apply to them, they are seen as collateral damage and to hell with their lives as well. Uh, Let me play Justin Jones, uh, and he talks about some of the dark roots of what we're seeing. What you're really showing for the world is holding up a mirror to a state that is going back to some dark, dark roots. A state in which the Ku Klux Klan was founded is now attempting another power grab by silencing the two youngest black representatives and one of the only women, Democratic women, in this body. That's what this is about. Let us be real today. And if we're keeping it real, there's a huge economic piece to this. 
uh, Michael. This is a theft. Nashville, Tennessee. So these two young men represent parts of Nashville and Memphis, two of the biggest cities in the state. Nashville alone right. contributes 36.81% of the GDP of the state of Tennessee. That's $369.57 billion, meaning more than a third of their GDP just comes from Nashville. But it's a blue city. Right. And so what they've done is they've cut it up and they've done this outrageous reduction in their council, right? So that each person that normally represents 40, right. that 20,000 members will now have to represent 40, and they will reduce immediately the number of black people on that council. So they're cutting off not just these two, but they're saying that the Nashville itself will have less black representation. Shelby County, uh, where Memphis is, will have less black representation. And then they, the Republican, white Republican statewide leaders who live in rural parts of the state, will control the airport, they'll control the stadium, they'll control the economy of Nashville. They are seizing the economic resources of these two major metropolitan areas to punish them for not wanting the Republican National uh, Convention. Make it make sense. Brilliantly laid out. They are re-prosecuting the Confederacy and the war against the states. They are re-prosecuting an enraged assault upon the very African-American people who are the heart of the democracy that they detest. And they're trying to re-crackify the entire government by appealing to right-wing, tyrannical, white supremacist ideology to justify and legitimate and indeed to validate their attempts to undermine democracy. Joy, what you just laid out, this is anti-democratic, not big D, small d. This is the ostensible umbrella that protects us all. And they're trying to yank it away from those two black men. And what they've done is allowed the rain to fall down and to expose the things that they're doing, the behind the scenes shenanigans, the, the strategies to rejigger the economy so that they can justify and legitimate the assault upon African-American and poor white people eventually, it ends up backfiring, Joy, because if those uh, rudders are removed, the ship of state will be in chaos. And as we see now, the attention of the nation will be trained upon what's going on here in Nashville. Before, they were doing it in secret. If you keep it quiet, if you keep it relatively um, you know, under the radar, so to speak, can achieve some horrible ends. What they've done is expose the lunacy and the ludicrous character of white supremacy. It will always destroy itself if left to its own devices. Well said. Uh, it is theft. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, Michael Eric Dyson, thank you. And still ahead, we will talk with two members of the Tennessee legislature. They'll join me to continue on the continued fallout from the expulsion of Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. And I am going to ask them about this attempted economic seizure of Nashville. Stay with us. Hey everyone, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening? We're back with another installment of our special series with Pod 2024, The Stakes. I'm talking to experts about both Joe Biden and Donald Trump's records on specific policy areas during their time as president. This week, a biggie. AbortionEveryday.com founder Jess Valenti on the stakes of reproductive rights. Conservatives, Republicans would like us to believe that this is something that voters are sort of super polarized on, that we're evenly split down the middle. And that's just not true. Voters want abortion to be legal, even in red states, even in purple states. That's why we're seeing attacks on democracy. That's this week on Why Is This Happening? Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and follow. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs, streaming, game console, console it. Smart thermostat, 
Set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera? Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go, you are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators. Now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. On Thursday, the Tennessee House, ruled by a Republican majority, voted to expel two young black Democratic legislators for demanding gun reform. Today, the Tennessee Three learned that the president and vice president of the United States have their backs. President Biden called them and thanked them for their leadership in seeking to ban assault weapons and for standing up for our Democratic values. And he invited them to the White House. Vice President Kamala Harris traveled to Tennessee today to show her support. They understood the importance, these three, of standing to say that people will not be silenced. To say that a democracy hears the cries, hears the pleas, who hears the demands of its people, who say the children should be able to live and be safe and go to school and not be in fear. And I want it first. Make no mistake, Tennessee Republicans stripped 130,000 Tennesseans of representation in the state house. Republican Speaker Cameron Sexton defended this unprecedented move, claiming he wanted to maintain House order and didn't want Democrats to set a new precedent for breaking decorum. Republicans say Representatives Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, and Gloria Johnson broke decorum by speaking out last week about the shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville. Sexton incomprehensibly compared the actions of three Tennessee lawmakers standing in the floor of the House in which they served to what happened on January 6th. His accusations are both laughable and deeply insulting. On January 6th, hordes of Trump supporters violently assaulted police, destroyed public property, and defecated in the Capitol. In Tennessee, three Democratic lawmakers spoke out of turn because the speaker turned off their microphones and silenced them. Oh, and they had a bullhorn. Totally the same as a violent insurrection, right? But here's the thing. They don't actually care about decorum. During Representative Justin Pearson's expulsion, Republican Andrew Farmer lectured Pearson on how he should behave. His comments were just dripping in condescension and disdain. Take a listen. Just because you don't get your way, you can't come to the well, bring your friends, and throw a temper tantrum with an adolescent bullhorn. Don't start by commandeering the well while we're conducting business here in this Tennessee General Assembly. That's why you're standing there, because of that temper tantrum that day, for that yearning to have attention. That's what you wanted. Well, you're getting it now. So I just advise you, if you want to conduct business in this house, follow Bill. The members were unbowed and unbothered because this isn't really about decorum. It's about stifling democracy and consolidating power and ignoring an ever-changing, ever-frustrated electorate. The glaring tell was the adjudication of the perceived crime. Only two of the members were expelled, and they just so happened to be black. The expulsions, while a lasting stain on Tennessee and on American democracy, could be short-lived. The city council rep for Representative Justin Jones' district is expected to reinstate him on Monday. It is unclear 
what will happen with expelled Representative Justin Pearson. And joining me now are two Democratic members of the Tennessee State House: Representative John Ray Clemens, the Democratic Caucus Chair, and Representative Sam McKenzie, Chairman of the Tennessee Black Caucus. Uh, I, I want to play you for you, um, Representative Clemens, because uh, you were kind of giving me life um, during your your moment uh, to present um, uh, at that uh, expulsion hearing. Let's just play that. We are talking about nothing less than 75 people overruling the wishes of 78,000 people. And you're going to cut off debate? Give me a break. Is this a circus? You are talking about kicking somebody out of this body. Grow up. If you can't sit through a conversation or a debate on something no less than expelling a colleague, grow up. Get out of here. You don't belong here. They obviously didn't listen to you, um, Representative. But I, I want to ask you, because you represented an area of Nashville, and you talked about uh, that. I, I believe your district is not far from Representative Jones, former Representative Jones's district. I want to ask you about what we were talking about in the previous block. How much of this fight is about cowing Nashville and forcing this multiracial city that contributes one-third of the GDP of the state and cowing them and punishing them for not wanting the RNC convention and seizing control of their economic might, seizing control of the airport, seizing control of the convention center, and essentially turning Nashville into a plaything of the MAGA right. Well, thank you for having me and for shining a light on this injustice. As, as you can see from that clip, my, my colleagues find it very uncomfortable to witness injustice, apparently, uh, even though they were the ones you know, carrying this out. Nashville has been under attack from day one. Memphis is always under attack as well. We continue to face an uphill battle. You know, we have one party rule in the state of Tennessee, and they want to control everything from the state house to the courthouse. And that's what you have seen. And you just laid, laid out all the bills just from this session alone. And that's just this year. Uh, this has gone on for years. And so they just want to consolidate all power and control all money. I believe in the previous segment, you laid out the percentage of the revenue that comes out of the city I represent. Me and, and, and Representative Jones represent. Our, our districts are above each other. We, we, we represent the same neighborhoods. Um, we were redistricted, but we share neighborhoods. And so the people want him there. They knew who they were electing. And it is offensive for them to violate our democracy and replace him in that manner. And Representative McKenzie, you uh, chair the Tennessee Black Caucus. It's very clear when they singled out um, the one uh, white member of the Tennessee Three and let her survive by one vote. But she's been really brutalized as well. I mean, forced to sit in sort of a closet because she didn't vote for the House Speaker. And she's been punished as well. And she barely survived that vote. And they are sticking together. But I do want to talk to you just a little bit about what's happening um, around the scenes as well. In Memphis, allegedly, there there is a threat overhanging that if um, uh, uh, that if just Justin Pearson is reinstated, that Memphis will be uh, punished economically, that their that funding for major projects will be taken away if he is reinstated. It sounds to me like there is an atmosphere of threat in the state of Tennessee around these two young black men. 
It absolutely is. Uh, that, that That's unfortunately not the first time that, that Memphis has been threatened but with one of those, if you don't get along, this is what we're going to do to you. We're going to cut you off uh, at at the knees. It's, it's terribly unfortunate. I'm extremely happy for, for Representative Johnson. She served Knoxville just like I, I do, but it's, it's eerily uh, awkward when the, the one person that's exonerated is, is, is the person not of color. You know, I'm happy for her, but to have our two youngest African-American members um, expelled for a rules violation, a five to 10 second rules violation is asinine. It's asinine when they break the rules every day. And well, I mean, there that is one of the things that was so outrageous, Representative Clemens. I mean, you have had a member urinate on the seats of other members. You've had people uh, accused of multiple sexual violations who were not thrown out. Um, as the great Lawrence O'Donnell pointed out last night, there's never been a Klan member in the state of Tennessee ever kicked out of the state legislature for being in the Klan. Um, you now have a national spotlight on Tennessee. You've had President, Bi- uh, President Biden and former President Obama weigh in. Vice President Harris was there today. Uh, what do you think that national spotlight will do um, and will it change or alter the course of events? Well, I certainly hope so. This is an unfortunate way to sh- shine a light on Tennessee, but I sincerely appreciate this White House and this administration. They've been here. They've stepped up with disaster assistance today. Uh, the first lady was here holding vigil with our community after the loss last week and the terrible tra- tragedy. And of course, the vice president was here this afternoon where Representative McKenzie and I were able to join her at Fisk University, an HBCU here in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, with the light on on this situation, I'm I'm glad the light is finally being shown on this because we have been facing injustice in the Tennessee House of Representatives for, for years. You know, we are not allowed to speak. We are cut off from debate um, you know, our bills are killed for sport when we demand and we are elected by the same amount of people, if not more than some of our Republican colleagues. So I hope people know and I hope they witnessed yesterday that the Tennessee Democrats are strong. I'm the chairman of the House Democratic Caucus, and I hope everybody came away from that knowing that we stand united we are we are intelligent, smart and strong people who fight for each other and we have each other's backs. And it, and it is a depressing and sad day in the state of Tennessee that two of my youngest colleagues who happen to be vocal, strong, invaluable voices within my Democratic caucus and the Black caucus have been removed from office. This is unjust and it's offensive to our democracy and it's a black eye on the state of Tennessee. And we are going to continue yeah. fight together. And that that is the thing, Representative McKenzie. It is sort of the microcosm uh, of the Democratic Party versus the Republican Party. The Republican Party is very monoracial. The Democratic Party actually is a multicultural party. It's a multiracial party. We can see it right here on the screen with the two of you. But this sort of the theme we're talking about tonight is this abrogation of multiracial democracy. In your state, they have passed laws or attempting to banning drag shows. Um, banning abortion, attempting to control women's uh, bodily autonomy. There is an overwhelming demand from young and old Tennesseans for gun reform, for red flag laws. These are 70-30 issues in favor of change. Just talk for a minute, I'm going to let you close, on the anti-democracy piece of this, because that Republican majority 
is denying the will of the majority of Tennesseans every single day and punishing two black young lawmakers because they will not comply. That's absolutely it. This has been brewing for really for years, you know, and and they really think that they represent the the, uh, state of Tennessee. It is you can cut it like uh, with a knife. Just the fact that they think that we don't have a voice. Their bill should go. Our should, 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 should be stunted. Issues that are core to our democracy get cut off without any debate. That day was just, it was a combination of frustration. And we have a diverse party. We have a diverse way of expressing ourselves. And, and it just came out and came through that, that day. But it's been building. They're, they're passing gun laws to have teachers carry guns when, when, without really any training. They're, they're passing these, these LGBT laws for no good reason. And they just keep piling on and piling on and telling us to just sit in the corner while we do the people's business. Well, the world yeah. is shining the light on the state of Tennessee right now. It, it, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, it is now a national uh, issue. And, and as you said, it is an embarrassment. But Nashville is a wonderful place. Memphis is a wonderful place. And we believe that you all will win. Keep fighting. Tennessee State Representatives John Ray Clemens and Sam McKenzie. Thank you both. We're back. We're back after this. Tennessee Republicans responding to a school shooting miles from the Capitol by kicking out two black Democratic lawmakers for protesting is so on brand for a party with a delusional attitude about, well, basically everything. Democracy, history, wokeness, and of course, abortion. Joining me now is Simon Rosenberg, Democratic strategist. And Simon, thank you for being here. It is uh, pretty remarkable to me. We just got this landmark, um, horrifying ruling out of Texas where one man has decided to uh, pull the FDA approval for Mifepristone, essentially nationalizing the issue of, of making abortion illegal, which is what the right wants. But they are way underwater on that issue. Most Americans oppose efforts to ban abortion. They oppose mm-hmm. things like um, banning contraception. They want gun laws strengthened. They want um, people to be able to access uh, health care. You name it. Republicans are underwater on these issues, and yet they persist in forcing them. Can you make that make sense? <laughs> Listen, MAG is a failed politics for them, but they keep it keeps getting worse and they continue to escalate. And I think it's why we have to really understand about how, what a strong position electorally we are now. We have to be thinking about expansion, about growing our vote ge- demographically and geographically over the next year and a half, as we just saw in Wisconsin. Right? I mean, we got all the way up to 55 percent of the vote. We won by 11 points. An incredible performance. We have to be trying to replicate that all across the country over the next 18 months in a race in Jacksonville just in a few weeks, right, that would be an important win for us in a red state, largest city in in Florida. And I think it gives us an opportunity to grow, get big, and to really try to crush MAGA politically in the next election and hopefully start to loosen its dark grip on the Republican Party. 
And the reality is, you know, we, we, we sort of shorthanded as MAGA, but this is Christian nationalism. They are white Christian nationalists, very clearly. You, and you had a guy, yeah. and they're one of their, their sort of totems is that they want women essentially to be incubators. They believe that the womb is state property. This guy named John Schweppe from the Claremont Institute, he had this sort of tweet thread, you know, freak out over Wisconsin in which he said, we just lost Wisconsin by like 15 votes. If the pro-line movement doesn't figure it out and get the Republican Party on board, the Republican Party is just going to abandon the issue and just tell voters they just don't care about babies, uh, saving babies. And they and he said that the play needs to be to get behind a 15 week national abortion ban. So they I mean, in Idaho, that literally they're passing a law, pushing a law that would allow people to that would stop people from leaving the state for an abortion. You've not in one other state. Which state was it where they're literally um passing a law in which people could inspect the genitalia of children, of high school kids, to make sure they're not trans. The extremism is is happening even when they lose and they know they've lost on the issues. I don't get it. Look, their party's been overrun by extremists and extremism. I mean, it's really the answer. I mean, one of our two political parties in America has been overtaken by an extremist ideology, and it's getting worse and worse despite them continuing to lose elections. And it is astonishing to look at. And you're starting to see some Republicans like Ann Coulter, right, saying we have to abandon the abortion issue. They know how bad this is going to be for them politically and electorally. But there are a lot of extremists who don't care, right? They're just going to pursue the agenda. And let's just take Ron DeSantis, your favorite guy from Florida. (laughs) He could have run on a 15-week abortion ban. Instead, he's now doing the six-week abortion ban. You know, he's he's becoming even more of an extremist. So that's where their politics is going. But I think you're seeing in this country now and around the world a greater awakening that we have to say no to MAGA. You're seeing it in Nashville. You saw it in Tel Aviv, right? You've seen it in Wisconsin. You've seen it even with Disney, you know, fighting back in a more public way. And I think we really need, this is not just about winning the election next year and going big. It's about us having the courage now to stand up to this kind of politics all across the country. I think people are ready for that. I think there is an awakening happening in the electorate in this country that this is getting worse and we've got to stand up. Uh, and, and it was Kansas where they're passing the law where they can uh, inspect yep. the genitalia of high school kids. And that despite having a Democratic governor and having an overwhelming vote for abortion rights, how do we get yeah. uh, dem- voters to concentrate? Forget MAGA voters and Republicans are pretty much gone. But younger, Repu- even younger white voters are starting to really yeah. realize that this is happening. How do you get voters to really vote this interest? Because you saw in Texas, women were horrified at the thought of losing abortion rights and still voted to reelect. To Greg Abbott or didn't show up at all. How do do the people who care about democracy get voters to focus and vote to stop this? So two things. We have to keep winning. We won in Wisconsin. We need to go win in Jacksonville on May 16th. And also, I think Democrats need to launch a national voter registration drive for young people immediately. This has to become a huge 2023 priority. We can't wait. We've got to expand our electorate. We've got to scare them the people that run their politics from continuing to run towards this in 2024. We're on the offense here. we got to keep going. Absolutely. And I don't think you have to scare them. Young folks are, they they are woke. They are wide awake. It's the reason that their parents and grandparents are trying to ban history because they see that their young kids are not down with this madness. And I'm talking about young white kids ain't down with it. And they're terrified. That's why they're trying to ban wokeness and history. Simon Rosenberg, thank you. And that is tonight's readout. 
Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com slash app to download.